Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the Fightful MMA Holy Smokes podcast with Showdown Joe and Sean Ross Sapp. Joe, we are live. What's up, everybody? August 29th edition of the Holy Smokes podcast. Yours truly, Joe Ferraro. You can follow me online at Showdown Joe. My incomparable co-host, one of the hardest working men I've ever met in my life, Sean Ross Sapp. At Sean Ross Sapp, you can follow him online. Make sure you give us all a follow at Fightful Online. Lots to discuss here, Sean Ross Sapp. Mayweather versus McGregor. The fallout, the aftermath, the postmortem. Uh, Nate Diaz and Brendan Shaw, for those that don't know, got into it after the fight. Shocker for some. Not so much for others. Uh, we'll hear from Faraz Zahabi. Uh, I spoke to him uh, about the fight and what's happening with George St. Pierre and a bunch of other things, uh, TriStar related. Uh, Derek Lewis, someone that, uh, you know, not many of us like overly too much, uh, is saving lives, to my understanding. Confederate we'll get to that. lives. Confederate lives as well. So we'll get into that a little bit later. We'll do a nice little preview of the UFC Rotterdam show. Uh, Jermaine Durandamy, and as Sean Ross Sapp calls it, and her hand of glass we'll get into that in a little bit uh john jones john jones and john jones yeah i'm not sure if you guys know but steve miocic was apparently unaware of these john jones plans with the super fight we will get into that because dana white said that that's what they were doing or they were planning on we will get into that momentarily sean rossap how are you sir i'm doing great i turned 32 in about nine hours 32 with that mop on your head yeah, it's beautiful. I look every bit of 22 with this thing up here. <laughs> I love some of the comments that we get sometimes about your hair uh, or my glowing skull, but that's another story altogether. So we did a recap. Carlos Toro, by the way, was absolutely fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. If you missed that post-event recap for Mayweather-McGregor, Carlos Toro was on fire. Uh, Sean and I, Sean, Sean basically headed the ship and was bouncing stuff off of uh, Carlos and I, and it was one of my favorite podcasts that we've ever done. Uh, it was fantastic. Thank you to everyone who joined in. Uh, to all of you right now listening in, live chat on the top left. We will get it. Uh, we'll get to some of that stuff uh, in a moment. But, Sean, it's been a few days. Mayweather McGregor has come and go. Has come and gone. 
What are your thoughts? How are you feeling? It's crazy to see how all over the spectrum everything is. From an MMA standpoint, realistic MMA journalists and most people with reason think that McGregor looked realistically as best as he could have in that situation. But, you know, fans don't always see it that way. They see it as Mayweather let him win rounds. Oscar De La Hoya even said that. Oscar De La Hoya, who obviously doesn't have any bias at all considering that tweet that he put out the other day. It was terrible. It was, it was really bad. It was... It was rough, and I understand his frustration. He has what would have been the biggest fight since Mayweather-Pacquiao if this one hadn't happened in Triple G Canelo, and that's going to be a great fight. I'll be on vacation in Orlando when it happens, and I'll still be glued to the set. I'll still be watching, waiting. But what what a lot of people don't quite – I don't want to say don't quite understand because plenty do. If you employ a game plan, and that game plan facilitates a situation where a guy wins two rounds or three rounds, you didn't let him win two or three rounds. You were employing your game plan. That's, that can be a part of the game plan, but let, saying let is, is, I don't know, what maybe that just irks me, perhaps. But uh, Floyd Mayweather did fight the way that he needed to fight to win this fight, and he did. Because people were saying, well, he could have knocked him out in the first round if he wanted to. Well, that counter uppercut said differently. Yeah. Uh, the counter in the third round said differently. I don't think he could have knocked Floyd or Conor McGregor out in the first round, and I think he knew that. I think he's well aware of Conor McGregor's weaknesses, and Conor McGregor is well aware of his weaknesses. He said as much. Once that sixth, seventh round hits, that's when I start feeling it. In the gym, in the octagon, in the ring. I, I want to know what you think, Joe. Um, I, I, you know, I said it on Saturday. I've been, you know, I've been contemplating coming up with different sort of ideas and, and just talking to different people uh, in all walks of life since that fight uh, and some of the other businesses that I do that I take care of. And the same thing for me. I mean, I, I did a few interviews, uh, one with TSN up here, one with uh, Sportsnet up here, uh, radio wise. And, and I think the fight lived up to the hype. It was, it was, you know, I, I went in there with the unexpected in mind. I'm ready for anything. Uh, I'm ready for a Conor McGregor knockout. I'm ready, I'm, I'm ready for a Floyd Mayweather decision, a Mayweather knockout, a no contest, Conor McGregor doing something crazy, um, you know, the, the, the fix, anything. I was ready for anything. I just wanted these two gentlemen to step into the ring uh, and unfold. That's all I wanted to see. And I was more than satisfied with what went down. I'm very happy for Conor McGregor, the fact that he went 10 rounds. But he went 10 rounds with a guy that's just superior uh, in, a, in a single sport. I mean, Floyd Mayweather is a master at what he does. Uh, arguably the best, you know, one of the best of all time, best of his generation. So really, I'm not overly surprised at the end result. And I'm just happy for Connor that, you know, I remember when that lead left uppercut landed in the first round. I, I jumped off my couch thinking, oh, my. Oh, my. Because you and I talked about the fact, especially you when you broke down the fight, that Floyd was going to be slow in the first few rounds. You know, we talked about it afterwards. And, you know, you can be slow. But my goodness, if a punch lands like that, it, it changes everything. Um, so good on Floyd for employing his game plan. Good on Connor for trying. Uh, but Floyd Mayweather is just a superior boxer. That's just the bottom line. And, you know, the, the one thing that I said, you know, the final tweet before we came on the air on Saturday was, I got to give props to the Notorious. He dared to be great. And that's just something that I absolutely love in, in the human spirit. The guy had no chance to win this fight, but went 10 rounds. And imagine, I mean, it, it was an all-win situation for him, an all-lose situation for Floyd Mayweather. 
Yeah, I thought that 7% number that I put on his chances was fairly accurate by the end of the fight. If you were to say, well, they're going to have a rematch, I would maybe push it up to 9% at this point. But that that won't happen. And it's what I think is funny is I, I subscribe to a lot of different Facebook groups because I post our podcasts in there. I post links in there. It's a good way to get stuff out. And when people say, well, what if a UFC fight would happen? And it, it's never going to happen between the no two. No way. But then you see people that say things like, get out of here with that fantasy booking. And I'm like, what? You <laughs> just watched Conor McGregor fight Floyd Mayweather in a boxing match. And you're telling people to get out of here with this, this fantasy booking? That doesn't, that doesn't match up. I thought that it was... Good. Also, another thing I saw was somebody that said to me, and I got into a bit of an argument with them, that this was the only – well, not the uh, – they said that uh, this was all about Connor and his camp because the UFC could never get him this payday. The UFC could get him a big payday, not this payday, never this payday, because nobody but Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor were getting this payday. Floyd Mayweather and Canelo 2 wasn't getting this payday. Floyd Mayweather and Pacquiao 2 wasn't getting this payday. Floyd Mayweather and uh, Triple G wasn't getting this payday. Conor McGregor versus Diaz 2 wasn't. Conor McGregor versus Habib, Tony Ferguson. No other matchup was getting this payday. I wonder even if a Floyd Mayweather-Conor McGregor MMA fight would get this payday. I doubt it because you would have to go through the UFC and we know how they do. They're, They're awful stubborn with that. That's more of a condemnation of just UFC's poor pay than anything because Connor, Floyd Mayweather admitted to cooking up the rumors of this fight. He saw an opportunity, and he was like, you know what? I can go 50-0 and 0 and make $300 million? Let me do that. Wise, wise decision on the part of Floyd Mayweather. In terms of Conor McGregor now, though, um, and that whole fantasy booking... Do you think he should go on some sort of rant or some sort of, not plea, but simply say, hey, dude, I came to your sport. Now you come to mine. Come on. Come on. Come on. And keep pressing it. Put the pressure on Floyd now. I think he should. Why not? I I really think he should. I always thought he should. I thought he should have played that up a lot more in the the pre-fight pressers, which he did a little bit. And there were a lot of situations where, like, he'd throw an arm over like he was going to guillotine Mayweather or took his back and those I think those were signs like this could happen anytime I wanted it to type of thing but I I found myself disliking the referee and how he was so stern towards McGregor less and less as did the you see some on. of the stuff that came out with the different verbiage of the referee I did I did it was very <laughs> funny it was very funny but so bad <laughs> After the fight, I thought Floyd was great. I thought Conor was great. Nobody loses better than Conor McGregor. Yeah. It's like he's very graceful in, in his loss, and he recognizes things, and you see the human side of him. I thought Floyd Mayweather was awesome. I'll tell you one thing I particularly liked. When I watched that press conference, and I saw how genuinely happy Leonard Ellerby was for Conor McGregor throughout this situation, you could just see Leonard Ellerby beaming as oh, he yeah. watched Conor McGregor in the press conference. I thought that was super cool. Uh, I, you know, I, I cover boxing and I have for a while, but you know, my my interaction with Leonard Ellerby has been minimal, and my experience with him has been minimal because, I, you know, that that's more of a Carlos thing. It's more of what he deals with, and uh, I gained a lot of respect for him. 
And outside, you know, since the press conferences, I thought those press conferences brought out the worst in those two. They really, really did. The pre-fight press conferences. I think if they could have done that over again, they would have formatted them completely different. And things probably would have went a little bit better. But outside of that, I thought that both men had been very classy leading up to this in in the couple of weeks before and the press conference after. But, uh, man, those pre-fight pressers really brought out the worst in both human beings. I haven't seen anything after the press conference at all in terms of uh, people ripping apart the fact that Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, uh, you know, shook hands, hugged it out, were very, very complimentary of each other. Have you seen anything negative when it comes to those two uh, doing that? Because I thought it was fantastic. Look, you build up this fight, you have to fight, you end up fighting, but then it's done. It's all said and done, and you can smile, even though you made $100 million or $300 million or whatever it is. You could say, you know what? It was a great ride. We did it. But did you see any criticism out there from fans saying, look at this. It was fixed, or this is, this is brutal, or blah, 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 they should hate each other. Like, did you see anything like that? Yes. Yes. In those Facebook groups, boy, you better believe I did. Not as much. I mean, let's be honest. Fightful appeals to a classier individual. yeah i did have one person that said that it looked like connor was whispering things to floyd and i was like don't be that person please don't like yeah it's it's not that it's not that and if they wanted to do it in wwe they could do it in wwe floyd worked a good match in wwe eight years ago it was it was one of the best celebrity wrestling matches in the history of the sport or the, the the entertainment form whatever you want to call it he can do it. It was very good. But that's that's just not it. Floyd beat him fair and square. Conor McGregor won a few rounds fair and square. It was it was it was good stuff. I had a great time watching that fight. There's a there's a comment up there on the uh, on the live chat. Uh, Le Comité says the press conferences sold the fight. SRS. They were part of why the fight became even bigger. Now you mentioned that you would have rather done something different with those press conferences. Personally, that Toronto press conference for me was one of the best things I've ever been that I've ever attended. It was absolutely. I mean, it was a show. Conor McGregor put on a show. It would be akin to me going out with the boys or the wife or whatever to a comedy event or a comedy show or a yuck yucks or whatever it is. It, it was it was entertainment, and I didn't have to pay a dollar to do it other than parking. But other than that, I thought it was fantastic. Now. The first press conference at the Staples Center. Well, four of them, four of them, man, where they got to sit up there and cut twenty-minute promos. This is a thing that I often complain about on WWE programming, Joe. They send these wrestlers to the ring with a microphone, and if you're out there and you walk out into the middle of a sea of people and you're like, "Well, this is why I don't like this person," you sound like a crybaby. You sound like a <laughs> bitch, honestly. If you just have a media member or an interviewer, a mean Gene Okerlund there to say, how do you feel about this person? Then you were prompted to respond. You're not as much of a crybaby. You don't seem as much of a bitch. If somebody's like, well, how do you feel about this? Okay, now you have a reason to go off of it. They were up there having to cut 10, 15-minute promos, which were... So you'd like to see more of a a real press conference with questions being asked. Hey, I'm cool with like a good five minutes at the beginning where they're out there saying that. But man, when they... Gotcha. I mean, full disclosure, guys, I was able to start a Mayweather school bag Twitter that got like 500 followers in a day. A parody account off of this that I used to promote some Fightful content. That's how crazy some of this stuff got. Between the bag... It, more more of the things that, that caused an issue with me were the racial 
and sexual slurs that were thrown out. Because when you're not prompted and your manhood is challenged, sometimes, it, it, unfortunately, with those two guys, it goes there. If you had an Ariel Hawani, if you had a Kevin Aoli, if you had a Showdown Joe, a Carlos Toro out there spitballing questions, I think that trash talk becomes a lot more natural and some things can... I mean, there were some good lines, like, well, some some sad lines, too, honestly. Like, the, why do you have that school bag for you can't even read? Like, I mean, making fun of illiterate people isn't really my bag, but... Yeah, that wasn't... That was, no yeah, pun there was intended. some stuff, yeah. yeah. No pun intended. But <laughs> I, I well, did think that those brought out the worst in, like, in the... May or McGregor trying to justify his the comments that he made, which I don't think were racial until he tried to justify them, and then I was like, "Ooh, that didn't play off well." Yeah, um, you know, it, it is what it is right now, and and I understand that fantasy booking that we spoke about. Um, you know, we, we can say it's never going to happen. Floyd Mayweather going to the octagon will likely never happen, but I will right. use the word likely because I remember when this fight before this fight got put together. I did many interviews uh, on mainstream stations saying, don't bet on it. It ain't going to happen. This fight is not going to happen. Dana White will never get involved with this unless he sees money and he's making enough money with the UFC. Well, as soon as it became a reality for Dana and money, yeah. Now, Floyd, can he make money stepping into the octagon? Oh, hell yeah. But my goodness, with his pride and his ego and his confidence and whatever you want to call it, his legacy be tainted if he was to step into the cage Versus Conor McGregor. That's the reason I think he would say no. I don't think any amount of money would get Floyd Mayweather into the octagon. And on the timeline these days, it's gone from Mayweather-McGregor to, I'm seeing a conversation, could LeBron James beat Conor McGregor in an MMA fight because of the size difference? These are the the conversations I see. And then somebody linked to a video of McGregor fighting the mountain from Game of Thrones and somebody... (laughs) says, he's just running for two minutes. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you understand the this, this skill set and rule set of MMA because jumping into a clinch with a man 300 pounds heavier than you probably isn't a keen at, isn't something that most lighter guys are keen on. The world needs to be educated, Joe. Yeah, well, I don't have time. We're both busy. <laughs> let them, let these let people uh, live in their ignorance or their fantasies. Uh, it is what it is. Um, afterwards, after the bout, Nate Diaz and Brendan Schaub yeah. sort of got into it. Brendan Schaub ran into Nate Diaz afterwards, and you know, apparently he just decided to, hey man, this you're, you're the next guy potentially. You know, how, how are you going to sell this fight? Or made some suggestions to sell the fight. Nate Diaz apparently didn't want to hear anything coming out of Brendan Schaub's mouth uh, to the point where he gave him an fu afterwards, and uh, may have called him a bitch because that's what the Diaz brothers do. Uh, are you surprised at Nate's reaction? Um, or is it just you know what? This is a Diaz brother. This this is what they do. You put them in the in the right environment. If they got beef with someone, doesn't matter what that person says, they're going to give their side of the story and do whatever they want. So yeah, according to Shab, <laughs> Diaz was like, "How stupid do you look right now? How stupid do you look right now?" And Shab did go all in on the Connor stuff. I think perhaps because Showtime may have urged him to. Yeah, that could happen. But I believe man, it. they. Yeah, but I mean, to Schaub's point, like, McGregor did pretty good for all things considered. All things considered, I'll say pretty good. And Nate, I don't know if he was indicating he didn't have interest in the fight, because I guarantee you he does. Maybe not for what UFC wants to pay him, but. Yeah. Because now, you know, you know, Nate, now Nate's going to want 30 million. 
Well, of course. Yeah. Because that's because... what Connor just made in a boxing fight. That's how Nate operates. Uh, and somebody saying perhaps Nate just wanted to be left alone. And Nate was there in a crowd of people. Like, there were a bunch of people there backstage. And Brendan indicated that Showtime didn't know who Nate Diaz was. If they didn't know who Nate Diaz was, that's an issue in its own. But that was a weird argument. Now, my question is, if they fought, would Nate Diaz be able to employ sumo-style wrestling to defeat Brendan Schaub? As Skip Skip Bayless uh, said that he used against Conor McGregor. Oh, I don't get those guys. I really don't. I just sit there sometimes, Sean, and I'm like, are, are these guys for real? You know, it, it, I, I try and put myself in their scenario. You know, if you put me on a talk show for an hour or 90 minutes, there's some really good ones up here uh, on sports stations. There's one that we have called Tim and Sid. Uh, but if I was to co-host that show for, you know, an hour or an hour and a half or two hours, I better know what I'm talking about, about every single sport, every single team right now in Major League Baseball or with the NFL preseason going on or the NHL preseason starting pretty soon uh, or if soccer comes up, I need to know as much as I can and I can't go off and like it's just my, my persona or my character. I can't go off on something I really don't know about, especially uh, in a negative manner. I can look at a highlight. I can look at something and say, okay, you know what? That's what it is. But to come out and say some of the stuff here, I'm just kind of like, guys, really? Really? This is what you're saying? I can, you know, I've, I've covered basketball, football, baseball, and I can cover and handle some of the basics of those. Like, if you're talking about baseball, probably more in-depth. Basketball, a little more in-depth. Football, I'm really new to that. So when I see Shannon Sharp, and he and I had an argument on Twitter about it last week, I see him... On Fox Sports 1 saying every time a UFC fighter gets clipped in the jaw, they fall down. What? I can't. I, I, there's, a, there's a part of me that's like, no, stop misinforming these people because some idiot's going to believe you. And I'm, I don't want that shit perpetuated. I hate okay. when that stuff gets perpetuated. And he, would try to, he tried to turn it around to me. He's like, true or false? Boxers go down less than UFC fighters. And I said, uh, playboy, I hope they do. The gloves are at least twice as big. The wraps are bigger. The rounds are shorter. They absolutely should go down less. And, of course, MA has takedowns, but I digress. Um, So, basically, full disclosure, I guess, what you're going through right now when you see that kind of stuff and have an automatic reaction to reply to that, I've lived that life. I lived that life in the, not the late 90s, I guess the early 2000s. Uh, in dealing with so many powerful mainstream sports folk uh, that would sit there and rip apart anything of this cage fighting, this no-holds-barred nonsense where these guys are stepping off bar stools, fat and drunk, no technique and blah, blah. And I would defend you know, the honor of the UFC and mixed martial arts till I was blue in the face uh, in so many different ways. I remember, uh, I'm actually good friends with the party right now, uh, or at least an acquaintance. We worked together at Sportsnet, but there was a time coming home from a, from a place called Mansfield, Ontario, driving home, and I used to, I used to listen to a show called The Law. Right, it's a wrestling show. I'm sure Live you know of it. Live audio wrestling, yeah. Live audio wrestling. Many of you people know it. And one of the hosts, uh, it was the evening that Owen Hart died, um, and it was we were driving home, and it was shocking. I'm like, oh my god, Owen Hart died. What happened here? And the 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 party that was hosting the show had said, you know, Pete, you know, wrestlers don't die in the ring. The only people that die in the ring are UFC fighters. And I I I, 
what? What did you just say? And I lost my mind. And I got home and I just sent him. I found out how do I get to the Live Audio Wrestling website? What's the email address? Who can I send an email? I want to send an email to him right away. And I'd sent him the email and I said, dude, you, you have any idea what you just said? Because none of it's factual. And as time went on, and then we ended up becoming good friends after that and working together at sports with the guys. And he's got a photographic memory, super, super nice guy. Um, and as time went on, Sean, other outlets would do the same thing. I was watching a, a, a specific Toronto on, on, on the Leafs channel, Toronto Maple Leaf show, where they were talking. Just they're talking about f- hockey fighting and blah blah. It's barbaric. It's it's terrible. Uh, it's like something that happens in the UFC where they die. That's it. Here we go again. Here we go again. They got no technique. Like emailed the party. Blah blah. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Why are you misinforming the public of something you know nothing about? Like, be smart about it. And then I just got tired, Sean. I just got tired because it was a never-ending pit of ignorance that I just couldn't clean up all on my own. I said, you know what, whatever. And then when I eventually got the show on the air, I could. there were still people at the very radio station that I was working at and the TV station that would go on the air on their specific shows and just rip apart the UFC. The fighters are all on steroids. Uh, the fighters have no technique. It's barbaric. It's not like boxing, which is a science. And I'd be like... Oh, God, get off the air so I can come on the air and record my show. It, it hurts my feelings almost when somebody says stuff like that with such reckless abandon because it is still a young sport. You know, baseball's got like 100 years uh, on well, – the MLB alone has like 100 years on the UFC. Basketball, yeah. a solid 40-year. Uh, you know, the NFL is the biggest sport in the country. Now, this didn't happen in public, but I don't know if you ever heard this story, Joe. CM Punk, one of his grievances, if you've never listened to his, his podcast, which also is honestly getting him sued right now, with Cole Ooh. Cabana, when he left WWE, he, about 10 months later, he did a, a podcast, a series of podcasts, and they were insane. And one of the grievances he had was that in January 2012, when the bisping Chael Sonnen fight was set to happen, he was supposed to walk... Uh, my, or Walt Chael Sonnen to the ring. They were buddies, and Chael Sonnen asked him to. And he was just like, yeah, I'll do it. And then Vince McMahon was like, no, you're not. You're not, you're not doing that. Uh, somebody's going to die in that cage one day. Ugh. And keep in mind, a few months later, Triple H is walking out Floyd Mayweather to the ring. And Triple H is Vince McMahon's son-in-law. You know how that goes. A few years before, Dave Bautista had walked out Manny Pacquiao, who he knew, but apparently didn't know well enough to know that Pacquiao was a homophobe. Bautista's got a gay mother. That friendship went awry. Oh, wow. Uh, now today, Jinder Mahal, Jinder Mahal, who is uh, a guy, uh, basically the new Indian star WWE's pushing, he initially said, yeah, I'm going to walk this fella out to the ring at UFC 215. And then apparently the brakes got put on that too. So I wonder what that weird, because that weird connection is there. But when I hear stuff like that from a Vince McMahon who has been promoting wrestling and crossover with combat sports for a long time, I hate the misinformation. That's what bothers me. That's what almost prevents me from being able to turn my bullshit detector off and not being able to call somebody out about it. Because I don't like the misinformation that spread. I like to generally operate on fact or at least well-educated hypothesis. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. And when I see stuff like sumo-style wrestling and every UFC fighter that gets hit in the jaw gets clipped from a show that I watch. I watch Skip and Shannon Undisputed on occasion. 
it bothers me. It upsets me a little bit because MMA's come a long way. Yeah, but you're 100% right. It's just it's so disturbing. It drives me up the wall, and it is what it is. And, and, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, Sean. I washed my hands of it years ago, uh, and, and I'm, I'm applauding you because you know it's like me 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say thank you to you on behalf of everything MMA and UFC for continuing this plight, continuing to fight the, the good fight. Because, But the bottom line is just like it's a never-ending pit to this day. I got to hear it and see it. And it's just like, you know, I'll be involved sometimes with conversations with people who have no idea who I am, Sean. No idea who I am. And in the middle of the conversation, one person may know who I am, but there's like five, six people around there. And these guys start going off and blah, blah, blah. UFC this and that sucks and blah, 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 blah. It's all scripted. It's all fake. It's just another version of the WWE. And I just sit there and, oh, God, I got to get out of here. I can't do this. I've got to – I can't. So so you, you said that you don't expect Mayweather in the, in the octagon. I don't either. Do you expect Conor McGregor to box again? Um, I had this conversation earlier today uh, as part of an interview in terms of Connor's looking for money fights at this point. If you, I mean, once you've made that kind of money, okay, uh, and I know a lot of rich people, and you know what, you know, you know what they focus on, motivation. What motivates them? Because now they've got money, and if they've invested it correctly, you heard me say it a thousand times. Sorry, guys, cue the broken record. Showed on Joe, blah blah blah. But if they want more money, if they want to do something. There's got some sort of motivation. So would Conor McGregor be far more motivated uh, in making, you know, would he make more money, Sean, in fighting Paulie Malinaji or Nate Diaz? I can't wait to never hear Paulie's name again. <laughs> I can't. I thought he did a good job Saturday, but I can't believe Showtime left him on that team after all the stuff. After he was in the gym, in his, in McGregor's, one, he was in both gyms, but. He was in there calling McGregor a sucker a day and a half before the fight. That is incredibly irresponsible on Showtime's part, I thought. Now, uh, Paulie was able to put it aside and was very professional, and I think he's one of the best boxing analysts in the game. But, man, that was weird. That was weird. And now even boxing fans are, like, really turning on Paulie. I see all these comments like, Paulie the Rat. Paulie, like all this stuff, because he was in, <laughs> he went and trained with McGregor, and then was in Mayweather's gym a couple nights before the fight. Whoo! I can't wait to not hear his name and not have to write any articles or edit any articles about him for a while. <laughs> so you tell me though, Conor McGregor, if the offer, I mean, would he make more money fighting Paulie or Nate? And if you're Conor, what would you do? I think the fight with Paulie is always there, okay. and. At its worst, in three years, it, maybe it does like eight hundred thousand. For eight hundred thousand, he'll still get, he'd still get a cool fifteen million on the back end of pay per view and stuff like that. Like at least because the boxing structure is much different. What I'll add, uh, what I'll kind of spitball off of that, Joe. Do you think Conor McGregor is the exception to the rule, or do you think he's going to push UFC pay? in a different direction. Now, a lot of people pointed at the, the pay of UFC fighters, especially at the lower levels, and were like, well, look at that. There were guys on this show that got the Mayweather McGregor who got like 7,000 and 7,500 to fight. So it ain't just there. It's combat sports. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. 
Uh, I think he'll raise the bar slightly. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, this is a guy that's he, he's he is the exception uh, or close to the exception. Um, you know, George St. Pierre is going to be next. Uh, we're going to pay close attention to George St. Pierre and potentially how much money he's going to make uh, or whatever the disclosed amounts are going to be made uh, in terms of uh, him versus Michael Bisping. But the way this all pans out, I think Conor McGregor has pushed the bar a little bit. Uh, rest assured, once people I think right now. Uh, anybody that's, that's anybody is starting to pay attention. If Connor comes back, what show is he going to be on? And can I be on that card? Can I please be on that card? Can I please compete on that card? Hopefully the main card. Hopefully, you know, even the Fox prelims. Uh, anything. I want to be on that card. So because basically the exposure that Connor's going to bring is going to be huge. So there, there's a bit of a, a meshing of the two ideas as to whether he's raised the bar financially or is the exception to the rule. By far, he is the exception to the rule. We'll see as time goes on. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how much the UFC is going to pay him, uh, and especially, you know, his base salary, of course. His, you know, I'm sure he's going to get a flat fee now. I don't think it's going to be a, a win bo- or a, a show bonus or show purse, win purse, uh, and then just pay-per-view. I think it's going to be a flat fee moving forward plus pay-per-view. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be – it'll be interesting to see, but – you know, I, I guess if I'm going to try and see what Connor's going to do next, I always said it was going to be Habib. I really thought it was going to be Habib. I don't care that the UFC is putting on this Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee fight. Uh, I think Connor calls the shots. I think yes. he, he will tell the UFC exactly who he's going to fight next. Uh, and if we use the power of social media, that's going to be Habib Nurmagomedov. But Connor's already voiced Nate Diaz. He's there, already there, said the Nate Diaz trilogy. There has never been a person in combat sports better at having fights ready for him, whether he wins, loses, draws, no matter what, than Conor McGregor. Because if he wants to, he could step in and he could say, give me Tyron Woodley right now, and they'd be like, well, we don't want to, but okay. Yeah. Or he could step in and say, give me Habib in Russia or in Hawaii, and they're like, Hawaii, taxes suck, okay, we'll do it. Then there's Ferguson versus Lee. Then there's Diaz. Uh, if Jose Aldo wins a fight, there's a rematch with Jose Aldo somewhere uh, there. It, hey, if you're talking to Sean Ross Sapp and you say, what would be the most entertaining fight to watch Conor McGregor? It'd be Justin Gaethje, but that ain't going to sell uh, as much as everybody else. Like, Give me that. I'll watch that. Uh, that's, that's a lot more fun. But he's so good at having all of these options and... A realistic option may be one of the easiest for him. I think Tony Ferguson is the best matchup for him, honestly, like from a stylistic point uh, of those realistic contenders. But uh, he could beat he could beat Kevin Lee and get that shot. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're right. I think the the best fight for him is definitely uh, would well, be Kevin Lee, then Tony. Fer- well, Kevin Lee. Well, I, I want to see how Kevin does against Tony. I really want to mm-hmm. see that. But I think Tony's just on another level uh, altogether, and I'm sure Conor McGregor would not want Tony Ferguson on his back uh, at any one point in time. That's true. So, uh, I think the most dangerous fight would be Habib, because uh, yes. I don't think you know. I think Habib might just. Hurt Although Connor, in in his him. last fight, though, when I saw Habib get clipped, I was like. If those were Conor McGregor punches, I don't know if he would have stood up. Yeah. Like, hey. Yep. Touche. That yep. was. I mean that. That was glaring. Uh, that was Michael glaring. Johnson. He was going crazy with those punches though, and, and Habib wasn't. You know, his head movement wasn't really there. But the thing is though, he did take them. And my goodness, once he gets you down on the ground, you you're not getting up. You're not getting up until the round comes to an end, or you get TKO'd. And I don't the know guy what, is just. I don't know what Habib's deal is. Like he. 
They offered him the fight with Ferguson. He's like, oh, I'm hurt, but let's push it back a month. And UFC's like, no, we're sick of your shit, man. We're not delaying this. We're not delaying this interim title fight anymore. We're not doing it. Go do something else. So right now you got McGregor out, Habib's riding the pine, but Ferguson, Alvarez, Barbo. Well, is Barboza booked up? Not that I'm aware of. Barboza Habib would be a good fight. I would watch the hell out of that. Uh, I don't know that. I would love to watch Barboza versus Habib. I think that's a good, good fight. Put that on a, a headline show in Russia and just watch watch a Barboza try to lay kick someone that's going to take him down. Yep. You also spoke to Faraz Zahabi about this as well as the return of GSP. So without further ado, my friends, the incomparable Faraz Zahabi. Obviously, the big money fight went down over the weekend. Uh, did it live up to your expectations? I loved it. I thought it was a great battle. I thought both men put it on the line, and uh, the action was jam-packed from, from round one. Um, I have zero complaints. Loved it. Now, there was obviously a stat that came out that Conor McGregor landed 111 significant strikes, which was more than what Manny Pacquiao landed against Floyd Mayweather. What do you make of that? Um, I think it's a very different fight, you know, a very different strategy. Mayweather looked more like Mike Tyson. He was moving forward. McGregor has a really long reach, and he's very quick on the outside. So I think May- Mayweather at one point was telling himself, you know, I can't fight this guy on the outside. I got to press, press the, the fight. And when you do that, you get here more often. Whereas when he fought Pac-Man, he had the longer reach. Mayweather had the longer reach, and he could fight on the outside. It was just very different, very different type of fight. In terms of the way Conor McGregor performed, is it exactly what you envisioned? I think he did better than I thought he would. Honestly, I think he did better. He hit, he hit Mayweather with a beautiful counter left uppercut in uh, round number one. And I, saw, I thought I saw Mayweather you know, stumble a little bit, get surprised. He was, he, I thought he did get surprised. And he realized that May, McGregor is a very, very seasoned counterpuncher. And if he stays on the outside, McGregor knows how to use his reach. And he knows how to be patient. And he'll pick him apart. And, and, and Mayweather changed game plan. He adjusted. And he took him in later rounds like I thought he would. And, uh, but, but the beginning was very surprising. I didn't think that uh, Mayweather would get countered so, uh, so effectively. Obviously, Conor McGregor right now is the biggest star uh, in the UFC and mixed martial arts. Uh, if, if we're going to say number two potentially is George St. Pierre, uh, a guy you know very well. But before we get to George, uh, what do you think is next for Conor McGregor? Because will it be that Diaz trilogy fight? Will it be Habib Nurmagomedov? Will it actually be the winner of Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee? Or is boxing an option? Is that where he goes? Well, I think he's got to go back to MMA right now. I think that was the best fight for him in uh, boxing. It was a smaller guy, $100 million on the line. I don't think people are going to pay as much to see the fight a second time around because the intrigue is gone. Okay, so now, I mean, if you were to put uh, McGregor against a Canelo or uh, against a Triple G or against, uh, you know, uh, even a smaller elite fighter, I don't think people are going to rush to see it this time around. They've already seen it. They got it out of their system. I think people are going to want to see McGregor back in the octagon. And the fight he's got to take, if he takes the Diaz fight and he wants it at 155, there's a line of guys who want the title way before Diaz. Diaz has got to win some major fights before he gets that, that title shot. I think he's got to fight Tony Ferguson or Kevin Lee, the winner of that, or, uh, or Khabib. One of those three guys. I think those three guys have to be the next title, uh, title contention because th- they've deserved it. They, they've taken that spot. 
Your boy, George St. Pierre, has a title shot against Michael Bisping. Many people think uh, you know, it's a good fight for George St. Pierre, but Robert Whitaker uh, is the fight that people potentially want to see. I, let's not move about on that one just yet. Bisping, George St. Pierre, it's official. It's going down. Um, what can we expect from George in this fight that potentially we haven't seen in the past? Uh, that's not something I really want to say, you know, but just... Oh, uh, I know you're not going to give away the game plan. I was just thinking he's going to be a bigger fighter. So he may George, George is going to be fighting a bigger speed. fighter. George is going to be a little bit bigger than he is usual. Look for George to be really busy, really smart, really technical, really, ex- you know, execute a, um, a, the type of victory that he's always done. And uh, look for him to be very energized. Absolutely. Um, should he defeat Michael Bisping? Obviously, the options are there to be, you know, he's a champion. He would have to defend the 185-pound title with Robert Whitaker uh, waiting there. Rumors are that he has committed to defend that title. And if it happens to be Robert Whitaker, he'll take it. Or is there something else on the horizon for George? Right now, me personally, I don't get involved in those politics. I just want to train him for this fight. I want him to get it ready for this fight. And for me, I believe in taking it one fight at a time. What happens after that? There's so many things that can, get, that can occur I'm, I'm not worried about that. I haven't given any thought. Michael Bisming's the target. Michael Bisming's the obstacle now. And that's, that's all I, I think about. It's all I focus on. Are you surprised Michael Bisping? I- Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Even though he's getting older, still can keep up that phenomenal pace? Oh, yeah, he's a monster. You know, he's, he's a very efficient fighter. He's a very technical guy. He's smart in there. Um, you know, he's a beast. You know, he's going to be a tough fight. But George has got so many tools. He's got so many dimensions. And George is even, you know, he's, he's the best athlete in UFC. So, I mean, I think he's going to have a lot of, a lot of uh, edges on top of uh, Michael Bisbee. I want to get your thoughts real quick on Robert Whitaker, though, because I remember when he fought Jacare, I couldn't believe that Jacare wasn't able to hold him down. Uh, he did a fantastic job getting the fight back to the feet and then doing what he had to do to win. And then against Romero, we all figured, yeah, he's going to get taken down, he's going to get held down. And no, Whitaker showed an exemplary just takedown defense and getting back to the feet. Um, I, I'm personally surprised. I wasn't, not that I wasn't a fan of Robert Whitaker, I didn't believe he was that good. Is he that good? He's, yes, he definitely is. You know, I trained Robert uh, for a long time. He did a lot of fights with us at TriStar, and uh, he was fighting at 170 then, and he performed so well in the gym. I'm telling you, he would do so well in the gym. He's such an athletic guy. He's such a he's a fighter, you know, t- to the bone. He can take a shot. He doesn't get scared. He can put it all on the line. He's got he's got all everything a fighter needs. But when he would do the cut, the weight cut, it was just such a monstrous weight cut. It was just so painful. It was just a really difficult cut. And then when he would fight at 170, he didn't have the same pop. You know, he didn't have the same athleticism, the explosiveness. I think really uh, moving up a weight class was a brilliant move, and, and people could see his true talents. He's a very talented fighter. It's not the first time that someone has come through TriStar, did a variety of training camps, and then eventually has to take on someone from TriStar. How do you deal with that? It's not, it's not easy. It's not fun. It's not something I like. I try to avoid it at all costs. But the thing is, when all the guys we're working with are in the top 1%, eventually we're going to cross paths, and uh, it's good for both of them. As long as it's good for both of them, I don't feel so bad. You know, it's, it's a good way for everybody to make money, earn our living, and uh, there's no bad blood. It's, it's, it's at the point, it's, it's just the lesser of two evils, you know. What are you going to do, sit on the sideline, not defend your title? You know, that'd just be crazy. So uh, I think there's a time and place when it has to happen. 
it feels almost like we're in a post-apocalyptic world after Mayweather McGregor because, as it turns out, there are more fights. Yeah, it is. It, it, that's what it generally feels like, and I, I felt the same way uh, yesterday uh, and leading up to the show here. It's like, okay, the world after Mayweather McGregor. Yeah. This is what we're all experiencing. You know, we're going to have to some way, somehow get back into the groove from our our perspective, or at least my perspective, getting slowly back into that UFC world. Uh, not going to be slow. I mean, the event's happening this weekend. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's post-Mayweather-McGregor. You're right. It's just kind of like, okay, back to regular life, back to your regularly scheduled program. And that's exactly what it feels like. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of big fights coming up uh, in, in, in a very short period of time uh, for the UFC, obviously with GSP and Bisping in, in November. But there's a nice little pay-per-view happening in Edmonton. UFC is in Rotterdam. I mean, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun week starting up. Yeah, and also before, before we get into Rotterdam, I want to say the, the Bellator show... I just posted online. So see if anyone can see I it. I think we're Is back. We're back. We're back now. All right. Good deal. Okay, so there there was a Bellator show like nobody made weight. <laughs> we'll we'll talk big win over Colleen Schneider. Kevin Casey, whose career very weird over yeah, the past down, like three down, years. Yeah. He has okay, let's see, one, two, three, four eight fights, one win. But in those eight fights, with one win, he only has three losses. Draws, no contests. Well, Chris Honeycutt beat him up real proper. Real proper. Uh, that happened. Uh, Koreshkov won. That was a big win. Uh, Talita Noguera also won. A good one. Uh, Georgie Karakanyan won. He got back on track. AJ McKee, that fight sucked, but he won. Fernando Gonzalez also picked up a win. And uh, Christy Lopez went to a draw with Jessica Sotak. So those were fights like that they needed to happen to help build up several different divisions. So I think it, I think that show will end up being a fruitful one for Bellator. But we got the uh, UFC Rotterdam this week. Yeah, I mean, Stefan Struve, those... who um, was actually at Titan FC uh, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago when I was there calling the event, um, didn't have a chance to talk to him. He was on the opposite side of the cage. He came a little later and left a little, you know, almost immediately, so I didn't have a chance to speak to him. But he's taking on Alexander Volkov in the main event. Uh, it's a heavyweight tilt. Uh, I guess all of us that, that have followed Stefan Struve's career have always talked about how come this Big, tall guy, super tall guy, tallest guy ever to compete in the UFC cannot use that jab properly. Doesn't seem to want to box like a big man or a tall man or a guy with that much reach. I mean, and, and, and Volkov's going to be a more than willing opponent to stand with him, but you tell me. So here's, here's the situation with, with this. Like, they're both giants, 167, 17 feet. Volkov yeah. actually fights taller than Shrove, which is. Weird to think, but but I mean, even in like Struve's best win against Miocic, he didn't fight long. He got in the pocket and landed a bunch of uh, landed a bunch of strikes. This is the top ten fight that nobody realizes is a top ten fight. It's number eight versus number seven. The winner, I think, should probably move into number six based on what we saw out Derek Lewis in the last fight. I think a lot of this will come down to takedown defense, and. Normally, you'd take a look at a Stefan Struve and say, well, that's going to be rough for him because his hips are way up higher. It's easier for a guy to get underneath him. Not necessarily the case. Stefan Struve is really good with trips. Uh, 
sometimes we've seen flashes of brilliance where he's on the ground. Uh, he's shown a willingness to wrap you up by your head and drag you down to pull guard. But then we see fights like the Mark Hunt fight where he looks absolutely lost on the ground. And that's 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 really that's not what I had come to expect from him by that point. Yeah, and you're looking at a five-inch reach advantage for Stefan Strew in this fight. Um, you know, it's, it's not like – I mean, and it's Volkov who's got much more uh, knockouts and TKOs uh, in terms of his record. And you take a look at exactly I – mean, he's 28 and 6, uh, 250 pounds. The, the guy can, can bang away, right? He's got more – he'll be more than happy to do that. It's just a matter of, you know, seeing where, where, where Stefan wants to take this fight because he's not getting any younger, Right. And and Volkov's number seven, I believe, and, and Strew's number eight. Am I incorrect in that? Yeah, uh, yes, it's uh, number seven versus number eight. Yeah, so you know, it's it's this fight's in Strew's hands, right? Like he's got to win this fight to remain technically relevant, because um, Volkov's in this fight not just to win, but to use Stefan Struve as a name to catapult him a little higher in the rankings or see where it goes, because it's important for him. Well, I think as long as Miocic is champion and. Struve doesn't lose like a bunch in a row. I think he'll still be somewhat relevant, but this is a big, big fight for Volkov too because he's won two in a row. He is a big dude that could pose a lot of problems for many heavyweights. I'm I'm really interested in this fight. I don't think it's a main event level fight. It shouldn't be main eventing a show, but it's it's a good fight. I'm I'm interested to see how the Struve range game plays because, like I said. Now he's facing a guy who is really, really big and fights longer than him. That poses some issues for me. But like I said, when Struve gets inside, he uses those trips really well. On the ground, he puts all of his weight almost on his shoulders and like pushes down on people. It, his legs and arms, because they're so long, create re- a really interesting uh, and challenging ground battle. But when he's faced Pat Barry and LeVar Johnson, we've seen him pull guard and wrap people up. Uh, I think that ground and pound could be a big key to this, and Volkov has very violent ground and pound as well. Yeah, I mean, we'll see where this goes, but um, if I'm going to give the edge to someone in this fight, I I will still lean towards Struve, but that could change uh, when I put together my Fun Bets article because the the more I look at Volkov and the more I look at what he actually brings to this fight here, uh, I could see Volkov, you know, not really shocking anyone that knows uh, about his game and how he fights, but I could see Volkov pulling off a knockout here. Oh, I could too. Anybody that Struve faces, I could see them pulling a knockout off. Pulling a knockout off. I mean, I'm trying to look at the odds here. I, I had no odds available on my screen here, but uh, pretty sure Volkov was a minus 140 or mi- minus 150, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, and, and then you got the um, the co-main event. I actually want to talk about Bahruzada, but we'll do that uh, in a moment. But uh, I mean, it is one of those shows that you and I talk about all the time where it's like, why are these events being put together? Why are these events being put on? It's nothing crazy other than Struve. I mean, we got some names on here, uh, but nothing mainstream-wise. But Marion Renault taking on newcomer Talita de Oliveira. Uh, that's the co-main event, guys. This is going to be... This is... You know, the matchup isn't that bad. Like, I thought it... Giving Jermaine Durand to me, Marion Renault, I, th- I was like, why? Why do her the favor? Mm-hmm. Because Marion Renault is a 40-year-old who trains with Cyborg, of course. But she really just has one win in her last four fights. But uh, you know, Jermaine Durand, me, as we'll talk about in a moment, uh, pulled out of the fight. 
It's a change of styles. Any game plan that Renault had is probably out the window because Jermaine Durandamy is a striker. Bernardo is a submission specialist. It's a big opportunity for a newcomer to beat a number 11 Bantamweight. And like I said, Renault has one win in her last four fights. Yeah. Renault doesn't ever fear trading punches regardless of opponent to set up a takedown, but I look for her to try to keep this on the feet now. Oh, yeah, I don't think she wants to go anywhere near the ground. Not anywhere near in the ground with Dolavera, but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's going to keep this standing, especially that's what she's been, you know, if, if anything, any game plan she's going to change uh, between now, but she doesn't really can't really do anything, uh, it is fight week. You know, they're going to be stepping on the scale in a couple of days, but just work on, on, on takedown defense and getting back to your feet because you're right, pretty sure for this camp here, um, striking may have been all or mainly striking. So if that's what you worked on this whole camp, you want to keep it, keep it fresh, get the fight back to the feet. That's the bottom line. Don't don't get taken down, and if you do, get it right back to the feet. And I think that's what we're going to see uh, from Renault. For, for Talita, close the distance. Close the distance, take it down. Surprise a lot of people uh, that, that will be tuning in, whoever will be tuning in on Saturday. Also, we got Brian Barberina and... Who is it? Rocky Edwards. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, Barberina is really tough to put away. We've seen that Edwards can knock you out in eight seconds, submit you in the third round, or take you the distance. And when you mentioned that eight-second knockout, it was against Bazinski. It was more the accuracy of the follow-up punch that impressed me than the actual punch that knocked him down, because he was right there as soon as his back hit, as soon as Bazinski's back hit the mat and just clipped him. Then in later fights, Joe, we saw Edwards, who had a back injury, switch up and grapple. And he's really relentless with his grappling. Even when it looks like his back's about to hit the mat, he'll switch his hips and you'll end up on the, on, on the mat. We've seen him adjust his game from a striker to a grappler and be able to land on top of guys who look like they're about to score takedowns. I think that's really impressive. And it's something you need against a relentless guy like Brian Barberina. Yeah, I mean Barbarina is one of the you know one of the Holy Smokes favorites, right? We love watching him fight. We love watching him compete. Uh, he's just just one of those guys that that will put a smile on your face every time the referee steps out of the way. Look out! Anything can happen. So this it's it's a good fight. I mean, for me, when I look at this card here, the reason why I'm and I don't know why I, I'm trying to figure out why, Sean. I'm excited just for for whatever reason to see Sire Bahudzada back. I mean, here's a guy who's fought once once since 2013 that was against brandon thatch at ufc 196 he wins it by an arm triangle choke last time he fought he fought twice in 2013 they were both losses to dun young kim and john howard okay comes back after what a three-year hiatus and now he's coming back it's just i remember when 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 we were always talking about not you and I, but just in general, the the, the media and stuff were like, get this guy into the UFC, get him into the UFC. Barudzada is a bad man. He belongs in the UFC, and you know when he did show up, he takes on Paulo Tiago, takes him out in 42 seconds. A lot of us were like, see, huh, huh? There you go. Look at this. And then he goes on a two fight skid, disappears from the sport, comes back, wins, and that was March 5th, 2016. It is today is August 29th, 2017. That hype train is long gone. But for oh, some yeah. reason, us guys, there's guys like me that are like, I want to see what he's up to. Because mentally speaking, I still think he's the same guy that was with you know World Glory or, or, or WVR, World Victory Road. That guy that I was paying attention to uh, you know, uh, on, 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 on Shooto Brazil. You know? That's who I remember. But in reality, 
age catches up to people. They don't fight the same way. The guy's only 33, but you just never know. I want to see what's, uh, you know, if, if, if the time off means that he doesn't have that MMA mileage on him. But this guy fought a lot. This guy's fought a whole bunch. I mean, he's got 29 pro fights uh, to his record. But interested to see what he brings to the table. I am too. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about Barbarina's game here in a little bit, but uh, Bahadur Zada always seems like he's training somewhere else too. Yeah. Jackson Wink, Black Zillions, Rain, Kingdom. He's been in the UFC for five and a half years and has as many withdrawals as fights at this point, Joe. Yeah, yeah. And at one point when he signed, he was a 27-year-old prospect. Now he's a 33-year-old man trying to stay into the cage. And he's gotten nowhere in that time. That's, that's, that's rough. That's rough to have. That's like you can't just. It's sad, honestly, and he's had the inconsistent injuries, and yeah, I, it's just it's a bummer of a story to see. Wilkinson is a guy I'm sure the UFC would like to see well, uh, see do well, considering where he's from. But he starts off really clean, then usually throws it all out there, abandons some technique. And when he gets tired, at least. But it hasn't bit him in the ass yet. Uh, I wonder about the tempo that Wilkinson will put on Bahadur Zada. And that's kind of weird to say because Wilkinson used to be a light heavyweight. And I'm sitting here wondering what kind of pace he's going to put on this guy. Yeah, and it's a middleweight fight now, um, which could benefit Bahadur Zada as well. Um, well, And Wilkinson because, excuse me, as we know, it's a division that ha- kind of has that it's top-heavy. Right, it's technically top heavy. Yeah. Um. Th- there are some good fighters. Uh. You know, from four all the way down. But at the same time, it's a division like light heavyweight, as an example, where you you're a win or two away from from being recognized and noticed. You can really move up those rankings pretty quick. Yeah, and that rounds out a pretty underwhelming main card. I wanted to mention about Barbarina though. Uh, one thing I like about him is his inside low kick that he uses. It's a tool that a lot of fighters don't employ, and he relies on it a lot. But the reason why a lot of people don't rely on it, Joe, is because we got the the uh, righty versus righty matchup so often. As a southpaw, Barbarina uses it, but he's facing another southpaw, so I don't think that we're going to see that as much. It's a real clash of styles that, that we see in that fight, but that's really about it as it pertains to uh, pertains to UFC Rotterdam. There's some good fights still on there. I mean, I, I really, I mean, Hustam Habilov is one of those guys to me that I was just kind of like, I expected so much more from his career. I mean, this is a guy that I had pegged uh, to be an absolute star at 155 pounds. I, I met him in Bahrain with uh, Nurmagomedov. Uh, we were there with, with um, uh, Shorty Torres, Frankie Edgar, Hansel Gracie. Habilov was there. And I, when I saw him training in the room with all those guys, I'm like, this guy's going to be a murderer. And he was... Uh, um, Nurmagomedov's number one training partner and they were doing fantastic together and I thought to myself this is kid gotta watch his kid just doesn't seem to have you know how do I say it he, he's on a four fight win streak but you know he, he lost to Benson Henderson and Adriano Martins yeah he's on a four fight win streak right now but it's like I expected so much more from him but again it, it just goes to, to to what John Annick said a while ago this is a division where if you lose it could take a long time for you to get back up in those rankings that's what a lot of this card is, is trying to get people on the right track, keeping people active. Like, it's not a lot of, not a lot of implication on the division. And Habilov missing that weight in Toronto, like, by three pounds. Three pounds, yeah. That's a question mark. 
That's yeah, we'll a question mark. Prezeris is a good name on the show. Uh, Tysimov, like the thing is, it's all these people that are winning, some of which are getting performance of the nights, but UFC hasn't pushed them in really any measurable way. Right, Harlan J wants to know: Is there a way to call into the show? No, there's not. <laughs> That would be kind of difficult, but uh, yeah, maybe one day. Maybe one day yeah, we'll open we'll up. We'll make uh, it happen one lights. day. I know that, and I'm sure when I tell Jimmy that Wirecast dropped off in the middle of this show, he's gonna be pretty livid about about the software. So uh, I, I wouldn't put it past Jimmy Van to design a new internet broadcasting software. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point. Now, Jimmy's got one of those minds. You just never know what's working up there, and that the surprises out there. Uh, speaking of surprises. Um, have you looked at Derek Lewis's Instagram account? Yeah, saving Confederates from uh, drowning. It's pretty impressive. I'm, con- uh, I'm conflicted with this right now. I'm not. He said some stuff about Ronda Rousey. You <laughs> he's, saving, he's saving lives, Joe. That was yes. months ago. Yes, he's, you know what, good for him. Uh, you're winning me back, Derek Lewis. You're winning me back because of what's happening in Houston. Uh, and I've been to Houston, and it's, it's a beautiful area beautiful city uh we had a great time when we were down there a couple times with sportsnet and to see that now i can re- I, you know you almost like you can relate to it because you've been there you know what it's like and to see you know guys like Derek lewis stepping up with that big huge white pickup truck i think it's a chevy uh and he's going out there and he's trying to help out saving lives man do what he's got to do i can appreciate that i think that's awesome of him to do he could have stood to build some goodwill as could Jermaine Duran to me. What do you make of her? <laughs> Why didn't she just get the damn hand surgery? She fell off the map for months after her win. Oh, maybe maybe I'll get hand surgery. No, you didn't. You didn't. And what happened? You pulled out because of your hand. What What do we say? What are you supposed to say? How do you address that? It, it, it just... It's mind-boggling. I don't understand it. She's just it's, – it's, again, I've always talked about fighters that operate in a different frequency than the average human being, and I think she's one of them now because this is just crazy. Anytime she comes up, it's just something crazy. Her stories are always crazy. I'm putting her in there in Vitor Belfort and Chris Cyborg territory. I think she may have unseated Chris Cyborg as the pound-for-pound pound weirdest – female fighter in that that regard because like oh she wants a featherweight title shot but she doesn't want cyborg you know who you are facing if you're in that division you know it's weird it's weird it's beyond weird it's puzzling it's puzzling and it's just it's you know should the ufc just wash their hands of her i mean like no no but if she's she's still gonna fight at bantam weight she has she has at least that that little bit of, of value there, but outside, uh, they booked her against Marion Renault. Marion Renault is forty years old, isn't a top ten fighter, has won one of her last four fights. Like they didn't, I guess they didn't value her that much. It's so weird. You go from being a champion to you know co-headlining an event versus Marion Renault, and now you're gone. Like, you talk about a champion that people are be like, oh, like five years from now, we're going to look back and be like, oh, yeah, Jermaine Durand, I mean, she was the original featherweight champion in the UFC, not Cyborg, right? It's, 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 she's, it's, she's treading and, and coasting, and, and it's almost like a trajectory to just, like, infamy. Like, you're, you're, you're going to be forgotten about. 
It's just crazy. It's just strange. I don't know. The, the opportunity that she could have, especially out there, to be competing, and now you can't because, I mean, take nothing away. A hand injury sucks. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't wish any ill will upon her. I just think it's a weird scenario. And like you said, you should have got the surgery, man. Just get the surgery. Just get the damn surgery. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, how's your boy John Jones doing? He tweeted the other day, my boy, John Jones, what the hell are you talking about? He tweeted the other day and said, times like these remind me how truly blessed I am. So much to be grateful for. Huh? I says, huh? Yeah, that's curious. Also, we'll talk about Cyborg not wanting to fight Brazilians. We'll talk about that in a bit, too, because she's trying to keep that crown from Jermaine Durand to me. But, yeah, John Jones, man, like, it, it's such a sad story and such a weird story. And I'm sure it'll be the, God, I hate, I hate that I'm pausing so much. Got to take my alpha brain, guys. I, I think that it'll be the tainted supplement excuse. And yeah. with an oral steroid, that's, you know, probably pretty fair to make. But also, I want to say how classy Daniel Cormier is by not, like, just straight up throwing accusations. He said, as athletes, we are given due process. That's a very union-esque answer, Joe. Now, they're not going to have a union anytime soon, but that says a lot to me about the kind of guy that Daniel Cormier is to, to use such a players association answer there. Because if it happened to him, he would want the same thing. Yeah, and the, the other thing with Daniel Cormier is if you think about the disdain he had for John Jones, uh, and I've talked to Daniel numerous times on and off the record uh, about his thoughts on John Jones, he could have easily come out and just ripped John a new one, just completely gone off on the rails uh, with John, and he chose not to. John Jones has went off on some rails in his day. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. Touche. But Daniel Cormier, D.C., Classy, just classy. Unfortunately, the guys he gets booed everywhere he goes. But you know, I love the guy. He's, I've had my my issues with him before, but overall, he's just a fantastic guy. I like the way he composes himself. I like the way he presents himself. I like the way he you know nine times out of ten the way he speaks uh, in public. But he could have ripped apart John Jones easily, especially considering what happened leading up to this fight, the emotions and, and and stuff like that. And leading up to this fight, he specifically said, "Don't ruin it, John. Don't ruin it. You're a steroid user. Don't ruin it." Don't kill this fight for us, blah, blah, not verbatim, but that's basically what he said. And I could just imagine what went through his head when he got the news. It, it, it must have been like the, the weirdest roller coaster of emotions up and down. Like, what? Right? Because technically speaking, if, if John gets stripped and it's a no contest, DC's the champ. Yeah, and of course, this news broke right after our show last week. Yes. Per usual. So it's a substance that is not produced for veterinary or human consumption. Like, it's it's not – you can't buy it. What, what John's being accused of? Yes. Of taking? Okay, because yes. the, the, the what I the, – the original TMZ report, I remember what the actual story was. I did some research on that one. Uh, and that, Turn that, the ball. Okay. That stuff's not coming out of your system for 21 days at, mi- <laughs> at minimum. And so, you know he got tested – Several times throughout that period. So the way that they, they were saying is that he would have had to have taken it that day. and Or, yeah, oh, man. 
And I've had this conversation with really close friends of mine and guys that are in the weightlifting um, or, or the powerlifting, well, weightlifting, powerlifting, fitness world. Uh, and and, and I, the conversation I had, because oh, he took this, you can do this, you can do that. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You can take whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. But you know, you know you're getting tested immediately after the fight. The fight comes to an end. You, you're given water and you gotta be, you got to pee. That's why some of these guys can't make it to the press conference in time because they have to pee. They can't pee on time, so they're just they're drinking, 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 drinking. Drink. They're dehydrated as is from competing, and now they're drinking, 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 waiting for the water to go through their system so they can pee and take their test. Everybody has to go through that. So why would John Jones – this is puzzling. What could John Jones have taken if he did take anything after, after the weigh-ins that was not going to be in the system – 24 to, to, we'll say, 33 hours afterwards. It's puzzling. It is puzzling. And it's puzzling how sad this story is because I think that he's the most talented fighter in history. I think that Demetrius Johnson is the best fighter in history, but I think John Jones is the most talented fighter in history. It's sad, and there are a lot of implications. If John Jones has proven that he did this, then Daniel Cormier gets that belt back. I mean, that's it. If the fight is rendered a no contest, then Daniel Cormier never lost his championship. And a lot of people don't agree with that, but that's what it is. That's how yeah. it is. That's the situation, is that the fight, it's almost like it didn't happen. And the, the best way we have to compare, the, the best thing we have to compare this to is a fight earlier this year when Tanya Evinger lost her Invicta championship because the referee screwed up and told her it was illegal to place her foot on the face of an opponent. And because she had to move that, she got armbarred. The fight was overturned after she lost her championship to a no contest, and Tanya Evinger got her title back. The irony is, Tanya Evinger would never defend that title again. (laughs) Irony. Yeah. The other thing about John Jones is, uh, and the conversation I had with with, um, a former UFC fighter uh, on the roster, we had this conversation in terms of Look, Joe. He like I, I, a lot of you guys know me as the devil's advocate. Okay, I will always play the devil's advocate because, as Sean mentioned earlier on in the show, we're both guys that live on facts. And if we're going to speculate or hypothesize on something, I want as many different facts as I could possibly get before presenting that uh, on a public platform. Now, when it comes to John, a lot of the facts, a lot of the history has proven that this guy is a cheater. This is a guy who has cheated. He's been caught. He's this and that and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I also know John outside uh, of the fight world. So I kind of not on a personal, personal, personal level enough outside of the UFC world and stuff like that. So uh, even with all that information, every situation is different to me. I will look at it and say, even though history has said there's a 90% chance that this guy cheated, there's still 10%. There is that chance. And I want to correct myself on the Avenger thing. She did defend that title against uh, Yana right after that and won. But um, the the, the John Jones thing, it's it's tough to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's tough. I know. I understand that. So what I was trying to say was what the, what the former UFC veteran basically told me. He's like, Joe, stop. And I said, no, no, I know stop. I, I know SRS is going to tell me the same thing. But the bottom line is, is if there's just a 10% chance, I'm not judging John Jones, despite I've got all this evidence to say otherwise that John has cheated. And he said to me, and this person said to me, John has cheated his whole career. He's been able to cheat the system. 
it's part of him to cheat and to continue to do so would not surprise didn't surprise him at all because it bought, the bottom line if you look at any sort of olympic testing uh, or olympics in general sports in general the cheaters are always the the doctors and the scientists that work with the cheaters are always far ahead uh, of those that are doing the testing so let's try this. Let's try that. They test for this. Oh, guess what? We just took this, and we can't find it in the in the, in the system. Now, if, if if I don't know if you saw to use this carbonate testing, I think they do. Bottom line is, if there's anything that's 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 synthetic in your blood, boom, there's your violation. So if John did take something, now you could take supplements, over the counter supplements. That's synthetic. Okay, that's not real stuff. Technically speaking, that's going to show up. But they've got a list of uh oh. Wait a second. What's going on here? So what was told to me, Sean, was he's cheated. He's always cheated. He'll continue to cheat. And I'm like, man, I I don't know how I could do it, me personally, because, number one, I couldn't cheat on pretty much anything I do in my life. But if I did and I'd have to face my wife and my my son, my my case, but John and his kids and his family – I mean, the, the, the begging of forgiveness that I would not only ask for, but the whole I will never do it again, I learned my lesson, I'm not going to do it, blah, blah. And then to do it again after losing everything? And he has to disclose what he was taking to Nevada beforehand. We've seen some crazy stuff happen over the last year, though. Like Joel Romero, who we all thought he's on something, was cleared. We saw Chris Cyborg gain a retroactive exemption. If if he gets a retroactive exemption, oh my god, the place the place would go bananas. Because really, I don't think Cyborg should have been given hers. But yeah, it's it's tough to give him the benefit of the doubt, especially after cocaine and the other failure and this and all the accidents that he's had and what we know about him. But you have to. Uh, but do you give the UFC the benefit of the doubt of saying, we were scheduling Miochik Jones, and Miochik's like, I don't know anything about that. By the way, as I've been asking for the last several months, where's my new deal? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, because I'll tell you why. I would not be surprised if the UFC was contemplating putting on this fight. It was discussed. And then Dana White blurted it out and said, yeah, that was the fight that we were thinking of doing without even having contacted Stipe Miocic yet. So they could, there could have been preliminary talks to say, you know what, why don't we do John Jones, uh, you know, forget this John Jones, Brock Lesnar thing, blah, blah, blah. Let's, 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 let's really do some super fights. We've got to make some money here. Let's just put on this crazy pay-per-view. John Jones is back, light heavyweight champ, taking on our heavyweight champ. We should do that. Yeah, no problem. All right. Let's go to the Contender Series if you're Dana White. And you show up to the Contender Series with the news that John Jones, um, you know, uh, got a violation from USADA. And then a microphone is put in front of Dana White. And he's like, yeah, we were actually thinking about doing that fight. When in reality, you didn't really tell Stipe yet. Yeah, I think that's incredibly irresponsible. And also, I think that Stipe deserves a new contract. He said that everybody that he's fought so far has been paid more than him. Uh, at least since he's become champion, that shouldn't be the case. The man, even though it's just two, is tied for the heavyweight title defense record. He is 35 years old, just turned 35. He knows he needs to get paid. Heavyweight careers last longer uh, in some instances, most instances. But he's like, go ahead, come on, pay me. Let's, Let's make this happen. So good on him for standing up for himself. 
I, I can appreciate that. It's not like he doesn't go out there and try to maximize his dollars. I think six of his last seven fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. And then in addition, he had two others before that. I mean, he is a fantastically exciting fighter. Is worth it. Maybe the pay-per-view dollars don't reflect that, or the pay-per-view uh, doesn't reflect that, but come on. We know that on a Demetrius Johnson pay-per-view, they are making, I think, $3 million profit, and those are considered bombs, Joe. Yeah. So the real question I have for you, which you kind of answered my point at the tail end of your, um, your explanation there, for the UFC, if they were to lose... Stipe Miocic, would they be sad? Yeah, I think they, they've got. I think he's still got fights on his deal, so he can't go elsewhere. But he's just he's wanting to up that money as he should. And yes, you know, no, he should. I'm not saying that. I'm not yeah. saying that at all. He definitely deserves way more money. He's the world. He's the champion. He's the heavyweight champion of the UFC. You are the baddest man on the planet. Not Anthony Joshua. Stipe Miocic is okay. You want to talk about fighting? You want to talk about real fighting, or at least. Uh, uh, fighting that has rules to them, Steve Miocic is the baddest man on the planet. Hey, shout out to Anthony Joshua for saying, yeah, I would definitely take an MMA fight and I would probably lose too. So uh, a lot of respect to him for being realistic about that in a time where not many are. But he he straight up said it. He was like, hey, if they want to stand up and strike with me using MMA gloves, maybe I'd do all right. But he goes, once it goes to the ground, it's not my world. It's not my place. So I, I can appreciate that. James Tony, he is not. But that's that's we got. I think it'll it'll temper down. It'll it'll go down a little bit. This MMA versus boxing deal. It's been a great year for boxing, and I, I want to embrace that. I don't want people to push it away. I want people to embrace boxing. We got Carlos doing that great newsletter every week. Make sure you guys check that out. Of course, we got post raw SmackDown shows. No UFC post show on Saturday. I'll be out of town celebrating my birthday, my wife's birthday, and our anniversary. But um, we got lots of stuff coming to you. Fightful.com, all kinds of exclusives. The pay we we updated uh, visually again to where you can see our exclusives on the main page. You can see events on the main page, forums, uh, photos, videos, all kinds of goodness, Joe. Roy Soria wants to know, Joe, how salty are you that Connor lost? You've been watching the show, Playboy? Uh, Connor's loss means nothing to me. Connor's win would have been absolutely fantastic for me and for, for a oh, yeah. lot of people, but. Would have been awesome for those clickety clacks. Clickety clacks, but to me, it's like, he lost. He, he, I, I made it clear he's going to lose this fight. He's got a slim chance. Sean and I broke it down, so. If he would have won, woo! Yeah. he lost. Oh, well, he lost. So, anyways, yeah, lots of, you know, got to get my article going for Fightful MMA, guys. Fightful.com tomorrow. Got to make sure because I don't want Sean texting me saying, hey, son, what are you doing? Can you stop doing whatever you're doing and get me an article? No, he's never done that before, guys. I'm just joking. Uh, but, yeah, I'll have a nice little piece written uh, tomorrow. Uh, my video on Saturday, or excuse me, on Thursday, uh, I might break it up or bring it up to, to all you crazy dudes in the live chat and those on social media at Showdown Joe. I will post a question first thing uh, Thursday morning. Uh, if nothing crazy happens, like John Jones and this this nuts crazy stuff that happens after we end this podcast if nothing crazy happens i will put it out there to you the fans uh for to determine what should i put in that video uh maybe two or three questions and i'll address them that'll be on thursday thursday morning i'll fire off that tweet uh and on facebook and on instagram uh, at showdown joe and of course uh friday 
my fun bets piece for this uh, Rotterdam show. Not not many fights, but the, or not many not many fights on this event uh, with marquee names. But these are the ones where you make money and put in some funds in your pocket. So pay attention to that article come Friday. And of course, guys, keep it locked to Fightful.com. We got all kinds of cool stuff for you. It's it's kind of a tame week. It's kind of a tame week, but then. Next week, we're back. UFC 215, I believe, we'll be previewing. Johnson versus Borg. <laughs> Nunez versus Shevchenko, too. Uh, no Francis Ngannou, unfortunately, but Neil Magny, Rafael Dos Anjos, Gilbert Melendez, Sarah McMahon, Henry Cejudo, uh, Sarah Morris is back. The outspoken Cajun Johnson. I can't wait to see his media interviews leading up to that as as angrily as he is... Uh, Ben towards the WWE or not WWE UFC UFC I, yeah. yeah maybe he's angry at WWE too I don't know I don't know but until uh, next time wait, until next time go, guys what what what? But, what real quick you're gonna say bye I want to do a quick little thing it's not Sarah Morris oh god it's literally and I asked her in an interview I said what is the proper pronunciation of your last name she looked me dead in the eye she goes Sarah Morass yeah I know I've had some talks with her about it some didn't My go life. so hot, but uh. <laughs> go on. Until next time, guys, we're out. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy eighty percent lean ground beef for three forty nine a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for seventy seven cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.